If you're our guest, I want to welcome you. We've been working through the book of John kind of slowly. We are, uh, we are in, still in chapter one, and we're going to actually finish that off this morning. And as we've been discussing it, we've been examining all kinds of things from who God is and what he, is, what he has done by coming into this world and how he's explained himself to us and that we, as a church, are witnesses to the light. Then, in fact, last week we dove in to a little bit more practical look at that as we looked at John the Baptist, this kind of um, interesting character with a huge bushy beard, camel skin coat, and, you know, ate locusts and honey and was preaching a message of fire and brimstone and repentance because, hey, the king is on his way. And so after we examined him and looked at some of the hints we can receive from learning how to actually care and point towards Jesus Christ, we're going to continue in further this week as we look at it as well. In fact, it reminded me of an instance um, back in youth ministry. I had, a, I had finished off my degree in my, where the master's degree and, and gone through seminary. And so I'd taken apologetics courses and I'd taken all these theology courses and I knew all this stuff. And so in the middle of it, one of these young students who had just kind of graduated, started into um, actually into RCC and had taken a good philosophy 101 class, which you all know, if you take a philosophy 101 class, we know everything at that point. And um, this guy kind of had taken on that perspective. And so so me and my cocky attitude with my degree and stuff walked in thinking, yeah, I can help this guy out. And we sat at the Starbucks down, um, down off of Ontario, not the near one, but the far one, and had a, a long, about three-hour conversation just discussing points. And now he would ask questions and philosophical and theological questions, and I would get to half answer before he asked another question, and then I'd be diving off after that one. And then we'd kind of get in. Finally, I was frustrated enough because I felt like I had moved him a little bit, so I started asking him questions. At which point he started contradicting himself and getting mad at me that I was putting words in his mouth. And I'm kind of like, no, you said you want to be the philosopher. That's not how logic works, you know, kind of. And it was just a disaster. In my attempt to reach somebody for Jesus Christ, my attempt to bring it, didn't matter how winsome I was or how many answers I had or how I brought the, something was massively wrong with my presentation. Part of it, as I'll discover later, is there, there's some key pieces that we'll learn today. But I, don't, I was frustrated with all the degrees and all the stuff. I stank at reaching people for Jesus. And so you got to understand, I feel like somehow I lost something because back in high school, when I was 17, I'd just come to Jesus Christ. I was excited about who Jesus was. I was in a youth group that was excited about who Jesus was. Everybody was talking about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. And I had a friend named Try in my class. And, and Try was, had, I'd done History Day with Try. We'd done all of our courses together. We had been involved in, our, in the madrigals at our school together. And so we had had this relationship and this connection. And I just came to him one day. I was like, dude, this is so awesome about this Jesus guy. I want to tell you about him. You need to come check out this church and our youth group. So I encouraged him to come and he came to the youth group. Next thing I know, he's given his life to Christ and he's growing in Christ. And to this day, he's still at a local church, serving at his church, loving his church and raising his family in Jesus Christ. And he wasn't even born, he was born, I think, into a Buddhist family. And so he was the outlier. And I'm sitting here looking at this going like, man, did seminary steal my ability to reach people for Jesus? What happened here? And this is not a lack of endorsement to say don't go to seminary. This is honestly a reality I think we're going to discover that your credentials and your degrees have nothing to do with how God can use you to reach those people that are surrounding you right now. 
And I want to encourage you, we've been talking about being witnesses of the light. We've been talking about you and I reaching people for Jesus Christ and talking about them. And I want to kind of brush back, push back a little bit and say, guys, there's still more we can learn. And it's not about all the knowledge that you can have, but it's something even more potent. So let's take a look at this. We're going to look a little bit further at how to point people to Jesus and to... Oh, hey, blue screen. And uh, so point people to Jesus in part two here. So we're going to dive in. In John chapter one, beginning in verse 35 through 51. So why don't you guys grab your Bibles, open up there, and it's not going to be found on page 886 if you need a Bible under the seats. Otherwise, if you got a Bible, there's the book of John. It's the fourth gospel in. So if you're looking at some crazy... Um, names like Ephesians or something, you're going to go left. If you're looking at um, other names like Matthew, Mark, go right, you'll find John. Um, otherwise, you've got a table of contents. You can check that out or pull it up on your device. And, and so John is continuing on. Again, we've just met John the Baptist, who has uh, just been preaching this message about Jesus. He, he's been questioned by this cadre of Pharisees and priests who come up to say, what, what do you got right to preach this stuff for? And he's like, hey guys, calm down. I'm in the Bible. This is me right here. Check out Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. And, and so he blows them away with his calling. Then he points at Jesus again and again and again. Until finally he says, hey, that's, that's the Lamb of God. Here's how I know. I saw the Spirit of God descend upon him connect, uh, and stay on him. So he's the guy. That's why I've been doing what I'm doing. So he picked up the ideas behind that and moved forward into verse 35. It's the next day and the next morning, and it begins, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Imagine he's standing there, he's been baptized, they're walking around, maybe having a bit of a conversation. And, and suddenly he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And so he points, and the disciples hear, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, now, now pause, before you even look at this, I'm curious. You know, you're, the, you're the author of the book of John. And you're going to give Jesus his first words in all of the New Testament, in, uh, in all of this gospel. And you're going, oh, what should I have Jesus say? Uh, what, what's the one, you know, line Jesus should say, you know, Father, forgive them. What, what, what's this line I need to, and this is the first line we get from Jesus. And I love the NIV translation. I believe it says something like, what do you want? What, what do you want? What, what, are you, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. 
And he said to him, truly, truly, I, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we get these very interesting pictures of these men who are willing to follow Jesus. But we begin with John the Baptist. John is standing there and his entire career, his entire job is to point to the light, to point to Jesus. He's the witness. He's saying, don't look at me, don't follow me, follow him. And so while two disciples are walking with him, he goes, there's the Lamb of God. And they go, no, we, need to, we need to obey John. It's time to go. And they get up and they follow after him. And in this then, they become what we know as Christ followers, disciples. Now, our church, we use the mission statement. We change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. And the idea here is being a Christ follower, somebody who is after Jesus. And, and I just want to reiterate, people get all caught up in passion. And I'm like, the point is not to be emotional Christ followers. I love Jesus. Not that way. Passion is knowing your calling and pressing through in severity and pain and whatever it costs. That's passion. So we're called to follow Christ. But what is a Christ follower? What is a disciple? How do you define that? What does it look like? And really, I want to simply define it right here, that a Christ follower is one who lives with Jesus and like Jesus. A Christ follower is somebody who's going to live with Jesus. He's going to walk with Jesus. He's going to be around Jesus. He's going to spend his time with Jesus. And he's going to look like Jesus. He's going to act like Jesus. He's going to speak like Jesus. He's going to care for people like Jesus. He's going to have the gospel in his life like Jesus did. This is a Christ follower. Somebody who literally is right on the heels of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, if you've come to believe that Jesus Christ is taken your sins from you, that you have a new life because he's risen from the dead. You and I have been Christ followers then. We're called to walk after him and be with him in this way. Notice the, the, what, how deeply this goes. It starts with a change of allegiance to Jesus and then a following after him. It starts where John says, hey, look, guys, there's the guy who's behold the Lamb of God, verse 36. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. You can even underline that because you're going to see it show up a lot. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And he said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They call him rabbi. They shift. No longer is John the rabbi. Now Jesus is the rabbi. But I find it fascinating that what we have here is these men who have been walking with John go, hey, we've got the Lamb of God. We'll go after him. He's our rabbi now. And the first words out of the rabbi's mouth, again, are, what do you want? So what are you guys doing here? But stop and think about it for a minute. That's an awesome beginning. It's talking about our motivations as Christians. It's speaking to you and me, if you're a Christian or you're not. What are you doing here? Why are you following? What's your purpose of coming to Jesus in the first place? It's been said that no one comes to church their first time for the right reasons. Whether you're a kid because you were drugged in by your parents or whether you showed up because your marriage is falling apart and you, you hoped something would solve it, whether you brought your kids so that they could have a better education and Christian upbringing like you did, nobody comes to church for the right reasons at the beginning. In fact, I would say that many of us, we would answer the question that Jesus is asking in a variety of ways. If Jesus was turned to you and said, what is it that you want from me? Why are you following me? What are you looking for? Some of us would really truly respond, God, we're looking to, to, to just have our marriage fixed. 
We're, we're here because we heard that, that you have a great plan on how, how to deal with finances and our finances are messed up. You know, we were, we're here because we need a community. We're here because we, we understand it's part of our social calendar and it's necessary. There's all kinds of ways that we can answer that. Some good, some mistaken. And I want to encourage us that maybe you should ask that question and it's okay that you're here with that desire. That you're here seeking Jesus to solve a problem for you or you're here seeking Jesus to deal with something. I just want to warn you, he's going to give all of us the exact same answer. You see, when we come to Jesus, he says, what are you looking for? And we go, hey, I, I, I want you to help me with my, with my addiction. I want you to help me with my bad habits. I want you to help me with my mouth. I want you to help me uh, with my marriage. Whatever it is, he's going to say, okay, here's my answer. Come, follow me. I give you myself. I'm not going to give you 12 steps. I'm not going to give you 10 ideas. I'm not going to give you, uh, you know, 14 passages to memorize. What I'm going to tell you is come here and follow me. And Jesus gives us himself. Do you realize how radical that is? You come hoping to, for the miracle of healing. You come hoping for the, 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 the resurrection of your marriage. And instead, Jesus goes, all I got is me for you. And that can be extremely disappointing. And maybe it's because we want these healings, resurrections, whatever we're looking for, but we don't really. Because over and over and over again in the Gospels, it gives us this warning. I mean, think about it. If you've read the Gospels, you've walked through it, how many times do people come up and go, Rabbi, you take this leprosy away. Will you open my eyes up? Hey, will you please give me this healing? And how many times do they receive it? And they're just like, Jesus, awesome, high five. Hey, guys, check this out, I'm healed. And, we're, and Jesus is gone. They're moving on. They don't follow. Maybe some of us have come to church and we've gotten used to entertainment. We're here to purchase church. We, we, we're here to get what we want out of it because, hey, that's the way Americans do stuff. And yet I'm reminded of Herod who stood there and Jesus was brought before him. And he's like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be awesome. Do a miracle. Come on, entertain me. Herod had Jesus in front of him, and, and when it would have been asked, what are you here for? He said, I want to see something cool. We have to watch our motivations because Jesus will only offer himself. And once you've received it, are we willing to still follow after him? Because that's the difference. This passage is about the beginning, and the beginning always is answered with, what are you looking for? Jesus, we're looking for you. We're looking for you. Now, it takes a while to get there. Some of you are going to receive help in your marriage. You're going to receive help in these things. And only later do we wake up and go, whoa, I need Jesus. This is awesome. Some of us Christians, we realized we got saved. We came, we were forgiven of our sins. And then we're like, dude, I got it from here. Thanks, man. Have a great day. Thanks for putting me in heaven. You're awesome. And we come to church and we sit down and we do our quiet times. We check boxes. But we're not following. We're not living with and living like Jesus. And that's where I want to challenge us this morning at first, that these guys changed this allegiance. They went after Jesus as their rabbi, their teacher. When you had a rabbi, you literally followed him around. Um, I was talking to Dr. Yoho this week, and he was speaking of the fact that when he's, he, he, he's a college professor at times, and he'll do advisory stuff. And when you have an advisor in college and you want to get your degree, you literally have to follow your advisor around so that they'll sign you up. I mean, you're, you're in every class. You're hanging out in front of their office. You're calling them up. You have this advisor that you're trying to get give, to help you get your doctorate. And it, it's crazy because he says, man, people will do all kinds of things. Give you gifts. 
you know, care about you, follow you. They know your schedule because they've researched you because they want to be after you. They want your education. And, and, and Dr. Yoho just basically said what's also odd is that he has the right then to select the people that actually follow him. This is the exact same thing here. Jesus has got these guys and they're following around. He's looking at them and going, why are you following me? He finds out they've following, they're following him so they could be like him. See, that's the reason all of us should be following, to be like him, to live and be like him. As it says in the book of Luke, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be what? Like his teacher. Do you really want to be like Jesus? Do we really want to live like he did with the same self-sacrifice? the same kind of things he's, he's calling us to. Some of us, we're, we're nervous about that, to let go of things in our culture, let go of things in our lives. But to follow Jesus is to be right on his tail, to live with him. You go, Greg, time out. How do you live with Jesus? He's not here. I mean, we know Jesus showed up in the room right now. I think some of us would be freaked out. How, how, how do we really do this? We'll find out later in the Bible, in John, that he's given you his spirit. And his spirit is the presence of Christ with us. It is the teacher with us, the comforter. And when we have his spirit with us, he is teaching us. We can then follow around. But how do we do that? You do it with the word. God's communicated what he is like. We can get to know who he is by what he's spoken to us. And he's laid before us who he is in the word of God. So when we read this, we know it's his words and he's taught us about him. This isn't a self-help manual. I mean, it can be used that way because God tells us a lot about life and reality. But in essence, this is God's biography. It's his way of explaining himself to us in song. It's his way of explaining himself to us in his interactions with humanity. And so I'll do this with my kids. Later, um, when I'm in my better part of life, uh, when I have time at night, I'll sit down with my kids and sometimes we'll sit down, we'll read a Bible story. And we've got this action Bible that we'll read with, with my kids. And you guys seen the action Bible? It's like, the, it's like you know, the uh, Marvel comic version of the Bible. And so you open this thing up and it's got like, you know, Samson's like ripped and it's just crazy stuff, right? So you're just reading these. And at the end of the whole story, I will simply ask my kids one question. What'd you learn about God? I challenge you to do the same thing in your Bible reading time. If you read the Bible ever, you need to read it for the sake of asking one simple question. What is it that I've learned about God? Because the Bible is about God. Then you can move on. Once you grab the concept of who God is, then you move to the next step, which is, well, what did I learn about man? What did I learn about myself? And you'll find very often what you learned about God and what you learned about man are completely against each other. We're messed up and God's got it right. Or God's had to act against our mess and it starts painting a different picture. And when you start seeing that, it challenges you to the next step of relationship. I'm getting to know God, I'm getting to know myself, and now I'm challenged with how to change. Isn't that what happened when you're dating? Come on, men, you know what I'm talking about. You started to get to know her, you're like, dude, that's awesome. And you start to realize, I'm not like the person, I need to change. There's a transformation that occurs in relationship and this is how it works. God doesn't need to change, but we do. As we get to know God, we ask ourselves that question, what do I need to change? I know who God is. I see who I am. How do I need to change? And then we start to live that out step by step. And one of the things it'll do, it'll birth itself into a prayer life. The hardest thing for some of us is to start a prayer life. Some of us are locked into tradition. We think prayer lives are getting in some place and saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. With all of these and the thighs, even if you break out of that prayer, you're going, Thou, O Lord, our God, 
above the earth. And you're like, what other Maranatha song do I know? Some of us aren't there. You're, 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 you don't have any prayer time alone. And you're going, yeah, I'm, I'm beyond a prayer time. Me and God, we talk all day. No, you don't. You tweet at God. You got 166 characters. Boom. God, help me out now. God, get that guy. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that's literally, we're just tweeting to God. Taking a snapshot of our life, throwing an Instagram caption underneath and saying, God, there it is. Are you following me or am I following you? And the reality is that we have all missed out on this intimate play with God. Where we're engaged in his word and he's teaching us about ourselves and suddenly it challenges us with who we are and we got to change, which leads you to go back to God and go, God, really? I got to do that? Now you're praying. You'll drop the these and the thous. You'll even cuss because you will come out. Who you truly are will express itself in prayer. And God's okay with that. He transforms us by his grace. Some of you guys are trying too hard to hide like Adam did when God shows up in your prayer time. And it's time to engage in an intimate relationship because you're following Jesus. These guys aren't perfect. They're a mess. And we're going to see how messed up the disciples are as they walk around following Jesus. But they just didn't go, hey, that was wrong. You're gone. Get away from me. He had one he knew was actively against him floating around in his group. Jesus is that gracious. And when we follow him, then we are right there with him, having a relationship with him, connecting with him, enjoying him so we can be like him. So we can be fully trained and be like Christ. What does that look like? Well, it's not all pretty all the time. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's enjoying the shouts and the cries of Hosanna as he rides in on a donkey. Sometimes it's the jubilation of him healing your marriage and changing you. But a lot of times, and at the beginning especially, it matters that we are dying to ourselves. Notice the beginning of this. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, act as if he is dead and follow me. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That we actually take and we lay out before God our agendas and we lay out our plans and we lay out all of those things, you know, those plans we all had when we first got married. I'm going to work for so many years and we're going to have kids. Right? We all had these. Come on. And then after you work so many years, we're going to we're going to get to this point. We're going to, we're going to have this job at this point. We're going to have a house and these cars. Then we're going to save towards retirement. And we're going to have this college investment loan. We're, we've got our plans laid out. And are we willing as Americans to literally take that cultural plan and go, Lord, upend it, throw it apart, do whatever you are. Wherever you lead me, there I will go. That's the question of following. Wherever you take me, I'm behind you. Are we passionate Christ followers? Because a passionate Christ follower is unafraid to say, Jesus, if you walk in that direction, I'll be right behind you. But I guarantee if you're like me, and you probably are, Jesus has gone in a direction you said, nah, I kind of like it right here. This is good, far enough, spiritual, happy, content, know my Bible, pray for people. Yeah, I don't know about looking like a fool. Okay, I'm going to sit down. We'll deal with that in our spiritual growth campaign this year, but the reality is that many of us have stopped following and we sat down and we settled. But he says we got to set these things aside. we got to lay them out on an agenda so that you and I become like Jesus in a very particular way. And he says that this, that if we will love one another just as I have loved you, 
you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This isn't like love, you know. This isn't cultural love. This is Jesus' love. Self-sacrificial, die on a cross, not for my friends only, but for my very enemies. That while you were my, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he loved us. You see, the danger in the United States right now for you and for me is that we turn our love for our others into a cause. How many of us are cause-based people? I'm going to care for those people because I got a cause. We're going to stop the sex slave trade for the cause. We're going to stop the abortion trade for the cause. We're going to get out there and love these poor people for a cause. And we've turned people into causes. And Jesus loved us not because we were a cause, but because he loved you as who you are. And the call is not to a call of a cause. The call is to love because we were loved and to love others right where they're at in their mess as God has loved us. That's a challenge, but it's highly important because as a Christ follower, we're going to end up bringing others as well to Jesus. And as we bring people to Jesus, who are we bringing them to? Notice how this begins to work out. So John the Baptist has pointed it out. And they come over. They've changed their allegiance. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 o'clock, which is much later in their time period than 4 o'clock on ours. It's just how their time worked. And so they don't go and start anything new. They just stay where they're at because it's about to get dark. And so they stick it out with Jesus. They're blown away by who he is. And so their reaction after finding Jesus is to get up and go get somebody else. Look at verse 41. He, speaking of Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Notice that. And then Philip, the next day, he's meeting Jesus. Jesus comes to him and says, Come follow me. And Philip's like, Sweet. Okay, yeah, awesome. He's off after him. And then the first thing that he does is he turns and, found, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. What's this found? We found him. We found him. When's the last time you felt that excitement about finding Jesus? You know, in the youth group, we used to sing that old, uh, that old song, I found Jesus. You know, we'd all scream that out. But it, it's from this text. It's so simple. We can make things so complex, so complicated. And when it came to try, my friend, who I reached, one of the reasons it worked so well is because I just came and said, you got to check out what I found. Come see this. It's awesome. And it's beautiful. When you begin to bring others to Jesus, you begin to fall into the pattern of Christ following. A Christ follower brings other Christ followers along and they begin to walk with them and it doesn't have to be complex. It has to be something simple. It can be as simple as check out what I found, but note what has to come first, a relationship. Look at it. Andrew knows his brother, Simon. Philip somehow knows Nathaniel, probably because they were all hanging out with John the Baptist. They were probably connecting with each other and hanging out down by the river going, hey, you're from my town. Yeah, you're from my town. They're all from the same town. So they have a knowledge of each other. They have a relationship that's built. And from that relationship, they're able to say, dude, check out what I found. You know why it's easier sometimes to reach people at the beginning of your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ is because you have a lot of friends who don't know him. 
and a lot of people who don't realize that, they need, they've, that what you found is valuable. The longer you live in the Christian faith and the longer you walk around with Christians, the more likely all you know are Christians. It's been shown statistically over and over and over again. Your closest friends reduced about zero outside of the Christian circle. And so if you got Christians, you're there. Non-Christians, there are very few friends. If you're not that way, you're an anomaly and praise God for that because you have an opportunity to connect with somebody with the simplicity of reaching out and pointing them to what you found. Some of us forgot we found him. We've been Christians so long, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus. Familiar. Instead of forgetting, we forgot what messes we were at the beginning and when we found Jesus, we're like, whoa, look what I found. You're pumped up, you're excited, he's changed your life. That's why at the beginning you're called on fire. Everybody know an on fire Christian? Dude, gather them around you. Unless you're like water, you know, you're like one of those water Christians, you know that'll go away. <laughs> Don't say that. You got a young on fire Christian, just latch on and run after them. They'll, they'll light you on fire too. They'll connect you with friends. You'll be sitting around in places you never thought you'd sit because you're going like, oh, this is where you used to hang out. Yeah, yeah. And you can help them and guide them and aid them. Guys, the bottom line is if you're a young Christian, don't wait to get all this knowledge before you're ready to reach out. Sometimes it's as simple as check out what I found. Check this out. This is awesome. And they go, well, what if they ask me a question? You say, well, come and see. Check out what I found. Well, what about this? Well, come and see. I'm not going to handle this. I don't know how, but Jesus can. Come meet Jesus. Come talk to him. Come meet him in the word of God. Come meet him. Come and see. Here's the danger. Why is it important that us as Christians who are Christ followers follow after him so you and I live like him and we live with him? Why is it important for that? Because when we tell people, come and see, you're likely to bring them here. What will they see? Will they see Jesus? Will they see the love of Christ? Or will they see a holy rolling club that's haughty and arrogant? Or will they find just a disinterested group of people. Did you know you're, you and I represent Christ for every guest that comes in the door? For every person in your workplace? When you say come and see and they see your life, are you living with Jesus and you're living like Jesus so that it's not a checklist Jesus situation where you're like, check, got my quiet time in, check, got my, you know, and you leave Jesus at home? Or is it that you're walking through and you're seeing people at your workplace and you're living with Jesus and you notice that guy's hurting so you pray with him? You just be kind to that guy over there because he's going through a divorce. And you're just like, hey man, I love you. I care about you. Just let me know how that works out. If you need anything, let me know. Taking another guy or somebody out to lunch so you're connecting and you're building relationships so that the relationship is there so you can, you can live where Jesus is leading you. It's not like it's against scripture to love your neighbor, right? In fact, we're just obeying it. Why don't we lean into those good impulses once in a while that God's leading us to? that is clearly listed in Scripture as okay. And as we do that, you live with Jesus, and then when they go, what is going on? You say, come and see. And you're pointing them somewhere. I remember back uh, when our small group, one of the first small groups we, we had, Dave Vaughn, who was in my small group at the time, he's, he was one of our elders, he uh, came, he, he had a neighbor named Charlie, and he says, Charlie, come here, dude, you got to check out my small group, and he had invited him, and invited him, and invited him, finally, him and his, his girlfriend said, sure, no problem, they came, they sat down in our small group, and after about three or four weeks at the small group, he was like, what is up with you people, and we're like, uh-oh, what does that mean, 
It's like, they're, I've met Christians, and then you guys are not like any Christians we've ever met. Nobody's like you guys. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, right, you haven't met the rest of our church yet. <laughs> so finally, we're like, you got to come check out our church. You'll find, so he shows up at the church, and he's hanging out at the church, and he's like, whoa, there's nobody like this church. These guys, you guys are just like, nobody I've ever met. I'm sitting here thinking, you don't know other churches in town, because they're just like us. They love people. They love Jesus. It's amazing how little people know about the kind of people that you are because they just haven't been around. Those who live like Jesus and live with Jesus. And so when we invite them, maybe you invite them to your small group. Maybe you invite them to the James Project. And you get them a shovel and you say, hey, we're just caring for people. We love them. And they suddenly go like, who does this? You say, we do it because we love Jesus. Because he loved us. He lived for, he sacrificed his life for us. We sacrificed time for others. It's just how you live, the gospel. And people just go, whoa, what, what cause is this for? It's not for a cause. We just love people because they're worth it. And that's the reality when we say come and see. So you go, but Greg, they still have questions. So did Nathaniel. And I want to encourage you as a side note, you probably have questions too. A Christ follower is free to have doubts, free to have questions, and people are free to ask their questions. It's interesting. Notice Nathaniel simply says this, you know, Nathaniel, he says, hey, we found this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, he starts by insulting Jesus. You know, this is, an, this is akin to a corona person saying, Norco, does anything good come out of Norco? No offense to the Norconians, it's just kind of the attitudes. It would be like Orange County people going, what good comes out of the Inland Empire? You know, that's kind of the, the reality of, of, of prejudice that occurs from, from group to group. And the, and the thing is here that Jesus literally, you know what he does? When he shows up, he says, hey, what you insulting me for, man? What good can come out of Nazareth? Let me show you what good comes out of Nazareth. Bam! No, that's not what Jesus does. <laughs> Jesus looks at him and says, dude, there's a guy who's honest. Are you hiding your questions? Hiding your wrestling matches because you think you've got to be ship-shape and proper in front of Jesus? Jesus is able to handle your questions. Brent used to come to me in the middle of youth ministry years ago, and he's like, I don't know if I can really do this because i got all these questions. I looked at him and I said, so? Doubt's your friend when, you, when, when you're open to the truth. Allow the truth to lead you, and you'll see it defends itself if you're willing to listen. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here at church and you're like, ah, these Christians are so narrow-minded. Actually, we encourage you to ask your questions. And yeah, we even give you a place you can do so called Starting Point. And we just kind of say, come and see, check it out, ask questions. But you know what? The coolest thing is I don't have to answer all your questions first. What I want to challenge you is, is the simple thought. Maybe you should just come and see Jesus. Maybe it's not about you getting all your answers. Maybe it's about you having an encounter with God. And maybe what you need to do is just bow your head at some point today and just say, God, if you're real, if Jesus is really the way, would you show me? Because he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. He doesn't want to half-hearted, God, are you real? The pastor said I have to ask. No. It's got to be whether you really want it. When he looks at you and says, what are you looking for? You have to have to be ready. I'm looking for you. And so it's just a side note. He's not afraid of your doubts, but he's going to answer them with himself. He's going to lay them before you. And so finally, we realize this, that for all of us in this room, whether you're at the start or near the end of your life, you have got to realize you're at the beginning of a journey at this page and that it's going to grow. Peter, when he shows up, and I'll kind of 
close this off quickly, but when Peter shows up, he doesn't know Jesus, but Jesus knows him. He says, you're Simon, son of John. Well, note that his actual father's last name is Jonah. So people go, what's this about? He's actually saying, you're Simon, the disciple of John the Baptist. No more. You shall be called Peter. And naming your apprentices, your disciples, was a way of identifying that they're yours. So Jesus literally takes Peter over and just says, you're mine. But he doesn't say, I'm going to call you Peter. And he doesn't say, from now on, people will call you Peter. He says, you shall be called Peter. It is a foreknown fact that in the future one day, you will be this one who is the rock. You're not the rock right now, Peter. Trust me. Simon, you're Simon. But one day you'll be Peter. Do you realize when you come to God, he knows exactly who you are? He calls you by your real name. Sure, I'm Greg, but when I was Greg, I was the engineer. I was the, the mess up. and the, I, wanted to, I wanted to show people how to, how to design and, and invent. That was where I wanted to go. And God said, no, 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 no. You don't know who you are. I did all these other things because I want you to do ministry here. And he put me in that place. And I praise God for that. He knew me better than I knew myself. He knows you better than you know yourself. And when you follow Jesus, it's not a death knell to life. It's actually opening to truly who you are. He will redesign and show you your true identity and it will match. And where Simon became Peter, who knows who you are, but God, who you will be for eternity. Not just a few short years on this planet. Let alone that, he'll develop that knowledge. You see, Nathaniel comes up to him and he says, hey man, there's a guy who is without deceit. And he's like, how in the world do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, whatever's going on there, nobody really knows. I like to speculate that he had heard John the Baptist say, there's the Lamb of God. And Nathaniel's sitting here going, man, should I follow this Lamb of God? God, is this the right guy? Should I do this? And it's then Philip comes up and says, we found him. Come on. And he shows up and he says, that, that's the, that guy is an honorable Israelite. He, he is a man without deceit. And he's like, how do you know me? He says, I saw you under the fig tree. I, whatever happened under that fig tree, it was a lock for him. He's like, you are the son of God. You are the, you are the king. I know it. How would you know that? And Jesus looks at us because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. You believe? You see greater things than these. And then he goes on to describe this picture that's found in the Old Testament of this guy Jacob who's sleeping on a rock and he has this dream of this ladder that, or stairway that goes up into heaven not just the song, that's what the song's based off of. And then uh, and, and, and he sees the angels going up and down on it. And Jesus says, I am the one the angels go up and down on. I am the access to heaven. I am the way open. You think you see something now. Wait till you see me open up heaven. In other words, wait till you see what happens on the cross and the resurrection. I will give access to heaven. You and I may be at the beginning starting to know Jesus, but keep walking with him and watch what he develops and shows you. Don't stop because it goes deeper and deeper. It's more fascinating and fun as you get to walk with him. It's not easy, but it's good. It's powerful. It's true. And it's gracious. We will change and we will see change. And that's a good thing. But I want to talk for one more minute to those of you who are at the beginning. Maybe you haven't started following Jesus. You've got all these questions, all these objections, all these thoughts. You're just here checking stuff out, whatever it is. I want to just say to tell you, go and see him. Ask God to open up your heart and reveal himself to you. 
You know, the band's going to come and it gives you an opportunity just to pray over that idea. But then some of you have become checklist Christians. You receive Jesus only so far as to pick up a quiet time checklist, 30 minutes of Bible, 20 minutes of prayer, uh, five, you know, serving on Sunday mornings, and you, you live in a life that is full of lists. I want to challenge you because Jesus said it this way, on, on the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I want to challenge you that if you're not walking with him, to begin. If you don't know him and he doesn't know you, to not bank on the religion and the checklist, but to bank on a relationship with Christ. And that begins by living with him in the word and in prayer and in your life so you can live like him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I just lift up these two places. And Lord, if there's any in here that need to seek you, to find you, I pray that you would open their hearts. And that you would reveal yourself because you've given your, yourself on the cross to forgive us of our sins and you've risen from the dead. God, if any of us are playing games, challenge us now, we pray. And aid us as we follow you. In Jesus' name.